Welcome to the Improver Network Podcast. The Improver Network mission is to make the world better by helping faith-driven leaders, entrepreneurs, and small business owners improve personally and professionally. Finding balance and maintaining focus in a world of distractions and discouragement can be challenging and frustrating, but we're here to help you discover your purpose, become more productive, and reach your true potential. Now here's your host, Justin Winstead. Hello, and welcome to the Improver Network Podcast. I am your host, Justin Winstead, and I am here with a very special guest today. His name is Joseph Backholm. He is a returning guest, and we are pumped and excited. Last time was virtual. He's actually in person here in Texas in the studio, and so we're happy to have you, Joseph. Welcome. Thanks so much, Justin. Good to be with you. Yeah, absolutely. How was your uh, travel in, and how are things going for you? Life is good, you know. Uh, it, it's a it's a busy season with my family and kids, and I got three teenagers, one of whom is going to graduate from high school soon, and uh, and one who's about twelve, and they're all busy with a lot of things in life. Hold down the fort at home, and I got a job I'm trying to do, and so you know, there's a lot going on, but uh, every bit of it I'd choose again, and and so I'm I'm really grateful. Yeah, good stuff, man. Well, other than family things and job and all that kind of stuff that's going on, can you tell me something just really good that you're maybe a win that you've had or just something that's happened to you or through you? And you're like, man, here, here's been a big win lately. We always like to start out with gratitude on our podcast. Well, what's a big win? Uh, you know, I guess the first thing that comes to mind, something I'm really grateful for is we we had actually a something of a health scare with one of my daughters and, and uh, just last week. And uh, we thought she had might've had a stroke and, uh, you know, numbness and vision and, and all the things that associated with that. And uh, it turns out that wasn't what happened. <laughs> and we're really grateful for that. Um, so, mm. um, but we had a, a couple few hours there where we really didn't know what was going on and the possibility that it was going to be very serious uh, was, uh, was uh, we were thinking about that, but uh, I'm grateful that didn't happen. I don't know if I consider that a win. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't do anything <laughs> except for pray. Um, but yeah, I'm really grateful for, uh, it makes me grateful for health, you know? Sure. Well, well, definitely. Uh, you know, we consider wins just anything that's uh, that you can be grateful yeah. for and uh, be filled with gratitude. And so that's awesome. man. Well, look, uh, like I said, you've been a, a guest before. So some of our people are going, oh, I remember him because we've already had a lot of people at New Year coming on. So that was, last one was great. We can't wait to hear you again. But for those of you who may not know the Joseph back home, like tell us uh, a little bit about you other than your family and especially professionally yeah. unpack uh, who you are a little bit. Well, I am a, a lawyer by training. Uh, I don't, I, I do uh, dabble in kind of legal work, but my, the title that I that I use most often these days is Senior Fellow for Biblical Worldview and Strategic Engagement with the Family Research Council in Washington, D.C. And it's a really long title. That's but, a mouthful. Um, it is. Uh, <laughs> they, they gave it to me. Um, but r- really, most of what I get to do these days is is um, take the background that I have really in public policy, and, and I have been kind of on the front lines of a lot of the cultural public policy issues that that we argue about these days, and and try to help people think about it through a biblical framework. And it's the the biblical worldview part of this, and working often in the church and trying to help people make sense out of a world that often seems senseless and without sense in it. And it seems crazy, but it's not crazy in an actual insane kind of way. It's crazy in the sense that anytime we just rebel against 
the the created order. Uh, that's crazy and destructive. Uh, but there's a real logic to it, and it's helpful for us to understand what that logic is. Um, so we primarily, so we can uh, be a light in the darkness and and save people from the the consequences of believing we're smarter than the one who made us. So that's a lot of what I get to do. That's a very short version of that. Uh, but we do that on uh, you know on podcasts, on TV shows, uh, in presentations, and worldview seminars, and a whole host of things that, that I get to do uh, that way. But that's uh, that's what I'm up to. Yeah, that's incredible. Well, obviously, one of the things we talk about so much here is about how what you put into your mind influences what comes out in life. And it sounds like you're a part of that uh, mind shaping, that worldview creating uh, work there and trying to help people see uh, really reality. You know, I think sometimes worldview has this idea that it's like, well, just make it your own. But I think part of what you're trying to say, no, there actually is a reality out there and there is a there is a proper worldview. And yeah, there's some tweaks you can maybe make, but there's some things that are non-negotiable and we want to make sure we get those, uh, <laughs> get those out there and people are thinking about things the right way. No, th that's exactly right. Uh, you know, truth exists independent of how we feel about it. Right. And, and so, uh, it, it is important. And there are some things that we can't know for sure, but there are a lot of things that we can know for sure. And, and just because we find it inconvenient doesn't mean it's not true. And our feelings are not the final authority about reality. And, uh, that is, a. Uh, that's an important life skill for humans, one that we as a species seem to be losing grasp of. And we're certainly trying to teach our kids that on, a, on an individual basis, but we have to remind uh, the adults of that as well. And so uh, that's, uh, that's part of the effort for sure. Yeah, man. Well, hey, uh, we did a, something a little bit different. Typically, what we do with our guests is is that we try to find uh, their subject uh, area that they're an expert in, and then we do a lot of prep on our end and and, and really try to be targeted in it. Today's going to be uh, a little bit uh, different. It's more of a Q&A style. We've got, of course, a membership here at the Improver Network, and I pulled some of our members and said, hey, uh, here's Joseph. We've got him coming back. Uh, what questions uh, do you wish I would have asked on the last podcast? What would you like to know? And so this may be a little bit of all over the place, but I think you're pretty good at rolling with the punches. All over the place. Yeah. Right. Yes. <laughs> so here we go. So one of our uh, members, uh, he's a young professional uh, in the commercial real estate world. And his name's Eduardo. And Eduardo, and this is tied in with what you were just telling me about your experience. He says, how would you say your experience in the legal system influenced your perspective on the way our country is operated? So when you think about the fact that you were in law for so long and still, you know, yeah. are in some ways, but, you know, having the legal background, how did that shape the way you think about the way uh, our country is is being governed right now? Well, there that's a, there's a lot of ways to answer that question. The first thing that comes to mind is just, you know, the, the whole reason the legal profession exists uh, is because people are always trying to figure out reasons why the rules don't apply to them. Right. Let's go back to the, the the very beginning. In the Garden of Eden, how many rules were there? There was one. Right. <laughs> Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Any other other than that, do whatever you want. And ever since then, and then God, you know, gave us the Ten Commandments, which was ten rules. Right. And the whole reason that we have thousands of pages of federal and state statutes that affect you know everything from zoning to criminal law, tax law, and all of those things. Is And the reason you have to be so precise is because humans are adept at trying to make arguments about why that particular rule doesn't actually apply to me as written. So then we have to revise the rule and, and clarify that it does apply to you, right? And that's kind of a, a lot of what the legal profession is like. And I think there's a lot to be said, a lot to, a lot to take from that about the way that our, our, our country and, and frankly, our world is operating is that we all kind of want to do our own thing. 
And and we we don't want to have anybody tell us what to do. Um, we want to be independent. And in and in many ways, of course, I I share that sentiment. I don't want to be uh, overly regulated by people who uh, who don't know anything about my life and frankly don't <laughs> care about my life. And I resent it when when bureaucrats pretend to care about my kids more than I do. Right. So there are there are some ways in, in you know the, the libertarian sensibilities, but um, the the legal profession is an imperfect place. Um, the law is a teacher. Um, it, it takes moral positions, and that's why you know the social issue debates that we have around marriage and abortion and you know gender and those things. And the reason those are so meaningful is because when the law says something that is instructive morally all law is ultimately moral law um so you know my experience in you know the the legal system as as imperfect and broken as it is i am thankful for our legal system because as imperfect and broken as it is uh it's better than what exists in the rest of the world uh for the most part in most cases um but you know that's kind of the I, I, that's the nature of of life on earth is that there's good things about it, but boy, we've got problems. Um, and, and we have to, we have to be mindful of that and, you know, to the, uh, in, in keeping with the theme here at the improver network, we've got to keep getting better because there's a, you know, as, as a culture and as a legal system, boy, cause, uh, there, there's lots of room for improvement. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, I've got a problem right now as it relates to improvement. So maybe you can help me with this. It, it is technology. It's evolving yeah. faster. You know, I used to be the young guy, like uh, kind of laughing at the old person who couldn't, you know, get the stuff updated yeah. and like, man, I'm turning into that already. It's just, it's right. moving so fast. And one of the things I still don't quite know what this means, but I've heard it like 20 times this week, uh, chat GBT, GPT, GPT. Yes. Yeah. Chat GPT. Like, yeah. do you know what we're talking about? I do. Yeah. This? It's, it's artificial intelligence that writes things for you. Okay. It, and yes, yes. So, so one of our members, uh, he actually asked like with, uh, this chat, uh, G GPT. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Man, couldn't there be a better name? I mean, look, yeah, it, I don't know where the marketing department pulled that out from, but I, I was I it the chat it bot itself. Like they should Maybe. plug it it's in. Like, question. what should we be naming? What should we you call instead you instead of chat GPT yes. and let it spit out? That, that, that's a fair name. question. <laughs> but he wants to know, uh, when you think about worldview, especially as it relates to churches and, uh, pastors doing sermons, yeah. uh, what's going to happen whenever these, uh, artificial intelligence starts writing these sermons <laughs> and, and the well, like this is a problem. <laughs> uh, well, you know that's that's a funny question because um, you know sermon plagiarism is not exactly a new thing, right? <laughs> um, but this Chat GPT, there there are many examples now of, of the the artificial intelligence takes on the worldview of the people who created it, right? Mm -hmm. And there's, we've seen lots of examples where it has a perspective, it has a bias that was it was programmed for. And honestly, Chat GPT is telling on its authors. We know that big big tech has a perspective. We've talked about it uh, at length culturally uh, in the context of censorship, the positions that we will allow to be spoken, the ones that will get you deplatformed, right? Because there is a there is a very clear bias at the highest level of most of these big tech companies. And those are the companies that created chat GPT. And, you know, at one silly example I saw is, you know, it was asked to create a poem saying good things about 
Donald Trump and a poem saying good things about Joe Biden. It refused to do that about Trump because it basically <laughs> said we can't do that. And then it spit out this, you know, eloquent, you know, w- when the question was asked about Trump, oh, I'm not supposed to say partisan things, you know, basically that kind of nonsense. <laughs> and then, you know, with Biden had all sorts of, you know, praiseworthy things that it was able to come up with. So, um, that's just one illustration of the fact that you're dealing with artificial intelligence, but it's not artificial. Um, and it, it, it it's it's fed information that it's operating with. Should the church ever go to chat, chat GPT <laughs> to get your sermons? Uh, no, you should not. Um, will a pastor do that? A hundred percent. I'm sure that's going to, that's going to happen somewhere, you know, in the whole issue now of, of whether, um, you know, kids doing their homework on that. And that's, that, that's a big scandal now is, does anybody actually going to do their real homework? Um, but what we're going to very quickly discover is the human mind cannot be um, duplicated electronically. Mm-hmm. It's impressive software. I've seen them write some hilarious, uh, you know, haikus very quickly <laughs> about random stuff, right? So there's things that it can do that are very impressive, but the the ability to reason and to uh, to to think and to connect dots that the human mind has, I just don't believe that we can duplicate God. So um, it's interesting. It's not going to duplicate what we can do. And by all means, I guess it's just going to become an issue of character uh, that that we do not allow something else to do our thinking for us. Because your mind is a is a tool and a muscle that must be continually exercised. And if you don't, uh, you're going to lose it. Yeah, man. Well, that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, I'm still trying to figure out exactly what it is like, and I don't want to derail our conversation into technology here, but just do you know, like, would this be a thing where we could use it as a positive tool? Like, for instance, if a pastor uh, had 10 years worth of his sermons and things like that, is he able to compile all this into a tool like this and it spits it out in his voice, not necessarily the voice of Uh, all of the aggregate? Do you know about I don't think, no, well... My limit, my knowledge of chat GPT is limited. I don't believe that it's something that you can build your own version, uh, you know, that I can take everything that I've ever written, feed it into there and make it think like me. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I don't think that's how it operates. I think it's been programmed. It's kind of like a, it's supposed to be basically Wikipedia, mm-hmm. right. For artificial intelligence, where you can ask it questions and then it provides information rather than just looking up a subject and reading about it. I think that's the vision behind it. Um, but, uh, but again, also it writes poetry and does other things that are, that are more complicated that you, you can't just ask Wikipedia for, um, if they made something that basically could replicate your mind and my mind based on the things that we've said or written, that would be amazing. Um, but I don't think that's what it is. It's also possible that I totally missed that. Yeah, well, and I even wonder if that would be a good thing because the fact is we evolve or improve <laughs> over time. Well, yeah, so we, do we really evolve work? in the actual sense. Microevolution happens for That's sure. Right. So right. I'm not afraid of the word. <laughs> we do change. Yes, yeah, definitely. But uh, you know, our mindset we should be growing and adapting. You know, in that, but. Uh, I don't know that I would want uh, my writings from ten years ago and the things I was saying then to be word. Mixed in. Yeah. You know, I don't agree with everything I've ever said. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, this this uh, new technology world out there, it's uh, it's it can be intimidating, you know, for us. Like I was, you know, talking to somebody the other day. It's like, you know, you need to be ready for the time when the phone rings and you pick it up and there's a voice on the other end that sounds like your spouse. It sounds like a family member, a child, a friend. And they're in desperate need of money or they they need information. Right. And it's like their number showed up. It was their voice. You give it to them or even. Yeah. 
even with the visual aspect now, the ability to transpose like faces uh, deep on the deep yep. fakes and like, man, you may you may FaceTime me one day, be like, Justin, it's so great being on your podcast yeah. the other day. By the way, I forgot this right here. Can you give me some information? And I'm like, oh yeah, dude, you were. And it's yeah. all just made up. I just right? need your social security <laughs> number and your bank account. Could That's you right. quickly just send that on home? Yeah. What, what was your blood type again? <laughs> and uh, right. So yep. Man, and it that, is nothing wild. suspicious about that. Well, man, I just uh, I have a hard time wrapping my mind around that. But it's it's like I always have a hard time wrapping my mind around the future yeah. on things I can't see. So what do we what do we take from this though? This uh, changing world of technology and things like that. Do we just kind of do the old serenity prayer and you know focus on what yeah. you can control and then just kind of pray for you know grace and mercy well, for the things you can't? You know, I I think there's there's truth to that. Um, as with all technology, right? The tools that God gives us in in this in the world are are redeemable, and you, you deal with that with, you know, hammers and cars and guns and all sorts of things in technology and the internet, all sorts of things that have capacity for great good, also uh, because of the proclivity in the human heart to do sinful, rebellious harmful things gives you the ability to just do evil more efficiently. And that's in, in all of this, the great risk is not chat GPT. It's the human heart, Mm. right? The great risk of technology is not the internet. The great risk of technology is not guns. The great risk in all of this that makes it potentially bad is, is, is deceived, broken, selfish human hearts that take things that could be used for great good and decide to use them in very selfish ways, which then end up harming a lot of people. Um, that, that, that's why the, that's why the 20th century was the deadliest century, not because people were any worse than they were, but the technology improved. So we could kill each other uh, much more quickly and much more efficiently than we had been able to for the millennia leading up to that, right? So- that I, I, you know, this is awesome technology in, in some ways. We see this and say, man, we're going to get a lot of stuff done really quickly. Um, but does it have the ability to be perverted and used for bad? 100%. Will it? Yep. I mean, that's, you know, it's the dark web. It's, you know, crypto. In, in some sense, I love crypto, but what's it used for? Selling people mm. oftentimes, and it's terrible, right? So um, the the real problem in the world is sin that exists inside of us. We deal with it with us first, and then uh, hopefully we help some other people deal with it as well. Wow, man. Well, that's a good word. So obviously we were talking about worldview earlier. You're approaching this from a Christian worldview, and that's the worldview that, that I have. And I say Christian, not necessarily in the maybe typical religious sense that a lot of people associate with that word. That's a loaded yeah. word for people, but more of a biblical uh, yeah. worldview. And um, you know, I'll, through... I'll, de- I'll define that. Yeah, real quickly. no, that'd be I great. Mean, yeah, yeah, define it, that worldview. And then because we'll I a say I have a Christian that. worldview, right? There, there, and and when we talk about this, there's assumptions about origin where did I come from? Meaning, does my life have meaning and why? Uh, morality, who determines what is right and wrong, what happens when I die, right? There's a whole different, there's a, there's a range of assumptions um, about reality. So there are people who think that we came here accidentally, that we're a, a function of mutations, that life has no ultimate meaning. We're Gnostics because there's no authority and there's no one who made us. Therefore, right and wrong is determined by me or public opinion or just kind of our, our collective opinions. And what happens when I die? Absolutely nothing. I'm not accountable to anybody because there's nobody to be accountable to, right? If that's your set of assumptions, you will behave very differently than somebody who believes my life I was created with a purpose by somebody who knows me and loves me and gave rules for my benefit. 
My life has meaning because I was created in his image and I will be accountable to him for the things that I do in this life, right? Those are wildly different sets of assumptions about the nature of our existence. And therefore, unsurprisingly, they lead people to respond differently to life. We make different decisions. We view ourselves differently. We view our neighbors differently. So when I say I have a Christian worldview, it's not just the fact that I believe there's a God and occasionally I go to church. It's that I believe I was created with a purpose. God is this source of authority. He's revealed himself to me. Um, my life has meaning because I was created in his per in His image. And ultimately, I'm, I'm accountable to him uh, for the things I do in life. That is what I mean when I say a Christian worldview. So parenthetical, I don't know where you're going with your question. Yes. No, well, that is great to have that definition and clarity there because there are some people, I mean, we even talk about, we work a lot with faith-driven business owners sure. and it's like, well, what does that mean? Does that mean I have to agree with all the doctrines that you do or hold to all the religious yes, traditions? Yes, you, you must be a paedo-baptist <laughs> That's right. if you have like, a Christian worldview. It's like, no, man, we, we believe you're created for a purpose yeah. and that you've been given uh, talents and skills and gifts and those are be uh, to be used to, you know, further, further good in the world. We're called to be salt and light. That's part of where this improver mindset comes yeah. from. And so, yeah, that's the kind of stuff we're getting at too. This episode is brought to you by the Improver Network. Members of the Improver Network get exclusive access to bonus episodes of our podcast. Additional member benefits include educational content, encouraging community, and practical coaching to accelerate personal and professional growth. For more information about becoming a member, visit improver.network today. So with that uh, being kind of in the back of our mind here, uh, Josh, who is one of our youngest uh, members, maybe maybe he is our youngest member, but uh, he teaches music lessons to young young people and uh, does like in-home, um, you know, piano and guitar. And he really cares about the next generation, even though he's so young himself, he really cares about the youth. And he is curious, like, what are the most crucial things that really needs to be imparted? You know, as you look around, yeah. like all these questions you just asked are big questions, but where, you know, I can, all the jokes and memes go around about, you know, uh, uh, I wish, where was the tax lessons in yeah. school, how to do my taxes or how to budget my money. And there's all these practical skills. So it's like, man, teenagers need to learn that, but they need to learn how to uh, handle technology well. But then there's all these other yeah. big moral things out there. So like we have limited yeah. uh, time and resources to invest in the youth of tomorrow. So how do we, how do we prioritize? Where do you go? What are the most crucial things that you would like to talk about? Well, when it, when it comes to young people and, thinking straight in a in a world that is often confused i believe the single most important thing that i try to teach my kids and that i think kids need to understand is that your feelings are not the guide to truth hmm. and and that is the that is the place in which young people and old people frankly for that matter are most easily derailed in a world where we are encouraged to uh, live authentically you do you personal truth kind of a world and every disney movie every disney princess just tells us to follow our hearts right just do what makes you happy um and it, and it's it, it's 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 well intentioned to be sure but the the thesis is just do whatever you feel like doing because your feelings are the guide to happiness only you can know what makes you happy the only way to know that is by following your heart that is uh, it's damnable in a literal sense but it's the most destructive idea 
that a young person can believe because that's what gets you into toxic relationships. That's what gets you into substance abuse. It's what gets you into laziness. It's the enemy of discipline, right? The whole per the whole purpose of the Improver Network, right, is to get people to realize I'm inclined to not be productive, to not be as good as I could. My instincts are lazy. My better <laughs> angels often lose to my worse angels, right? So I want to surround myself with ideas and people who are going to encourage me in those moments when I'm tempted, tempted to be less than I could to be more than I can, than I am, right? That's the whole concept here. But what culture is telling you, every time they say, follow your heart, just do whatever makes you happy and just do what feels good in that moment. And whether it's food or substance abuses or, you know, a lack of discipline in our spending, Satan is constantly saying, this is going to feel good for about the next 10 minutes. And then you're going to hate it. And it's going to be way worse than it was before, right? That's the nature of temptation. There's a moment when it feels good and then it's awful. And that's what that's what this whole follow your heart thing is. It's going to feel good for the next 10 minutes and then it's going to ruin your life. And that's what we have a generation of young kids who, who are being taught, hey, I'm not actually a man. I'm not actually a boy. I want to be a girl. I'm not actually a girl. I want to be a boy. Um, wh whatever context that this is in, um, that guy makes me happy. He may be, you know, a complete loser. And my parents and everybody who knows him tells me to stay way away, but he makes me happy, right? But he makes me happy. So I'm going to go do it. And then I'm going to find out why everybody else was right because my heart actually didn't guide me to happiness. It guided me to misery. So. That's what I would say. Make sure that young people know that your feelings are not the guide to truth. That's why you need God's word. That's why you need to surround yourself by people who are wise, who care about you, who could tell you when your feelings are wrong because it happens all the time. So just to clarify, it can feel right and still be wrong. Is that what I'm hearing <laughs> you say? Is that what you're saying? Because exactly. I, because I had this one person that said to go with my gut and like, just so if, if your gut tells you or, you know, hey, I'll say somebody else tell me, do what makes you happy. And it sounds like you're just smashing well, all of that to pieces. Well, so. <laughs> in a moral sense, I am, right? You're making business decisions. You're playing a game. Like, yeah. does he have pocket aces or not? Okay. Sometimes, you know, yeah, you're going to, you know, gut instinct is not necessarily immoral in a business sense. In a, this person seems shady. I don't have a problem with that, right? Your, your feelings, your emotions, sometimes can be conscience or just a check on, on, on stupidity. So it's not, feelings are not bad, right? Feelings are unreliable. That's the point mm. here. And, and, and you need to have a point of reference outside of your feelings to compare them to. You need to have a standard of truth independent of my mood, what I had for breakfast, whatever that is, where I can say this feels right, but is it right? And and, th and that's what people have to, you, you've got to have that. You've got to have other people around you who can help you in that process. Um, because what everybody knows, even the most ardent Disney follow your heart advocate in the world knows that their feelings are occasionally wrong and that they felt things that weren't very helpful and actually weren't constructive. And, and so everybody ultimately knows that's true. But for some reason, we still kind of embrace this idea that your heart's going to lead you to happiness despite all the evidence of yeah. the opposite. Well, cliches are fun. Oh, they are. <laughs> hey, and, and you get lots of brownie points, right? I mean, right. It, it, you get plaudits for being non-judgmental and not discriminatory and tolerant and all those things when you just say, do what makes you happy, right? Because yeah. it's non-confrontational. Um, it, it's much less, it's easier to do that in the moment than say, Hey, what you're about to do is really harmful and you're going to destroy yourself and you're going to regret that. Right. Mm -hmm. That's confrontational. But, but, you know, to put a ribbon perhaps on this point, oftentimes the reason we don't do that 
it's not because we love them, but it's because we love us and we don't want to deal with the conflict. Conflict is sometimes difficult mm -hmm. and, and we avoid it claiming to be tolerant, but in reality, I just don't want to inconvenience myself. Yeah. Well, uh, I should have asked this question before when you were talking about biblical worldview and defining that for us, but uh, this one individual named Lauren, he asked, um, and this is maybe a little bit too detailed, I'm not sure where you are, but the Apostles' Creed is what this is going to do with. So he says, in your assessment, uh, how many professing believers would agree with the Apostles' Creed? So kind of when you think about like people with the biblical worldview and they hold to that uh, belief system, so the traditional definition of... Because you're, you're out in the world and like you're seeing people yeah. who maybe have the title. Uh, you know, you hear about uh, rhinos, Republican in name only, right? Yeah. Are, there, are there like sinos or something, Christians in name only? Well, uh, <laughs> that's really interesting. And the Apostles' Creed, for those who might be uh, un uninitiated, I believe in God, the Father the Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. It goes on and on. But it's a rec recitation of... Um, of Christian beliefs, of fundamental Christian beliefs. How many would say they agree with that? I mean, I haven't seen a pollster ask that question. What we have asked in 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 the, the Center for Biblical Worldview of the Family Research Council, there's a gentleman who is a senior fellow also there by the name of George Barna, who is a, a pollster. And he went into churches and he asked regular church attenders, people who claim to be evangelical Christians in this case, um, he, he had a survey where about 54 questions, about half of them have to do with what you believe and half of them have to do with what you do and asked them to see if they believed Christian things and did Christian things. And it's like 21% of people in church have a biblical worldview, scored an 80% on this assessment, right? So you have a lot of people who intellectually believe that they're Christians, culturally probably are, may have grown up in the church and, and believe these things, but they have not gone through the, the work of saying, okay, I, I say I believe these things about God, about the Bible, about truth, but have I applied this to the way I live my life, how I think about paying taxes, how I think about sexuality, how I think about marriage and, you know, a, a whole range of things. Um, so, a shockingly large number of people that we go to church with who identify as Christians and by all means may be in terms of their expressions of faith, their agreement with the Apostles' Creed, haven't connected the dots and they haven't decided, well, if I believe these things, everything I might do in my life needs to be consistent with that. Yeah, but they feel like they do believe them many times though, right? Like they mentally acknowledge it but yeah, they're they not know, making that connection on the test, they kind of know the answer to the question <laughs> yeah. maybe but that yes i mean when they when they say you know is jesus the son of god they'd say yes right that's a basic question was he born of a virgin mary uh yes because that's what we read in the bible right but they're not just reciting that they actually do believe no, they, it though right I yes. mean, in their mind it's yeah uh, in their mind yes yeah. I'm, I'm agreeing with those things but the the, the the missing gap you know what they haven't done is say okay so what does that mean, mean. for my life yeah. How does how does that impact what I think, what I do, who I do it with, how I do it? All of those things, right? They're not. It's just like I'm a Christian over here. I go to Sunday, and then when I leave that building, I pay my Christian penance. I pay my dues. I pay my tithe. I just check my Christian box, making sure that everybody knows I'm on the team. Once I leave, I'm in control of me, and that's how a lot of people in the church operate. And so you functionally operate and think just like every other kind of naturalist, secular, pagan, yeah. whatever term you want to use. Um, but 
in your in your mind, you're very much a Christian because you went to church and <laughs> and you answered the questions correctly. Yeah, and 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 you and you did believe it, like intellectually, you did uh, ascribe to that. Yeah, you're not lying. Ha- have you? Did we ever discuss uh, Charles Blondin and the famous tightrope walker? Are you familiar with like that story? Oh, like the, get in the wheelbarrow? Yeah, that guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's my favorite illustration yeah. on that. And for those of you who maybe we just teach yeah. you a little bit, you don't know, but Charles Blondin, famous tightrope walker, tightrope across in between skyscrapers with like no safety netting, and I think one time he got a cast iron skillet and actually cooked an omelet walking across the tightrope. But he would do all these amazing tricks, and then yeah, one day he has a wheelbarrow and. He's like, who thinks that? I think it was Niagara Falls. Yeah. He's like, who thinks I could push someone else across Niagara Falls on this tightrope in the wheelbarrow? And everybody's like, man, you're the best. They're clapping and cheering. We know you can do it. We know you can do it. And he asked for a volunteer. <laughs> and they all are like, nope. like, like no, I'm not going to do it. So I think that those people really did believe that he could push someone across. But yeah. they didn't really, really believe they, they didn't trust it, right? At and what cost? At what cost? And actually, I think his um, his manager ended up doing it because he was so close and had seen Charles do so many things. He actually did end up being pushed across. Yeah. Um, there was a rumor, too, that his mom ended up doing it. But I can't imagine any mother on the face of the planet letting their son push him across Niagara Falls. At that, a uh, that is a brave mother. <laughs> so anyway, but uh, I think that really drives home that point of, uh, of believe versus really believe. So, well, um. So Clint uh, has thrown out a question and he had some, uh, Clint's always, uh, he doesn't shy back with the way he does it. I'm going to try to maybe polish it up a little bit here, but uh, he says, what is the Christian conservative outlook uh, on joining with Muslim conservatives to battle the woke, I'm just going to give you his words, yeah. the woke, unholy, pronoun confused hacks? <laughs> that was his question. Oh, good. Thank you, Clint, for that. <laughs> um, about... I am, you know, in in a political sense, I think it's, um, I think it's not wise to say I will only cooperate and work with people who share my precise theology. Now, theologically, I think it matters, but I don't. I don't think practically it um, benefits anybody to say, oh, well, you're not just like me. Therefore, we can't work together in common cause. So. Um, the you know the historical religions judaism islam christianity all the neanderthals who still believe that men can't become women right they do have common cause on some kind of fundamental basic monotheistic things and i think it makes sense if you are in a community where you have a Muslim community and a Jewish community and a Christian community that could work together and go tell their school board, hey, why don't you stop telling our eight-year-olds that they can switch gender if you want to, right? That to me makes a lot of sense. Why don't you um, stop trying to force my eight-year-old to refer to a boy as a girl, right? If that's the scenario, and I think Clint kind of referred to that, yeah, I think it makes a ton of sense. I can easily um, get over the fact that uh, they go to a mosque and I go to a church or they go to a um, temple, right? That that just in in that context doesn't matter to me. Ultimately, it matters, and I'm happy to have a different conversation later once we get outside the school boardroom. But but I am uh, eager and willing uh, to work with them uh, to protect the innocence of our children together on the things that we agree about. Okay. Yeah. And he kind of asked the same question in a different way uh, about 
working with others, but I think it, that, it, that does answer it. So yeah, thank you for that. So Reagan, she's on our team here. It's actually her birthday today. Happy birthday, Reagan, even though you'll be listening to this at a uh, later, a later time, but uh, she makes the comment that uh, it's a scary world out there and it just seems like we're headed in the wrong direction. Uh, she would like to know more about your circle and your home base because you're trying to advance uh, these thoughts and ideas that, um, you know, for a lot of people are controversial. I was just talking to somebody the other day and they were saying, yeah, I, I was raised by Masons. And they said, you never talk with other people about religion or politics. And like, yeah. you're, you're like mixing both of those things of together. And so, and then money sometimes. And then just money, throw yeah, all, yeah, I, just throw it all in there. And so, you're doing this. You're 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 going to catch flack, right? You're getting opposition uh, from from people, and I think you've even probably dealt with threats before and insults and all these things. So she's kind of making the comment that uh, you've obviously got some uh, good people around you that speak life and that keep you in check. Uh, talk to us about that, and then yeah. uh, she also asks the question: Where are you vulnerable? So, well, well yeah. That could be deep. Yeah, that could uh, be. Let <laughs> me take right. the first part of that first. <laughs> yeah, take the first. Yeah, part. <laughs> like your your circle. Um, you know, in in the the line of work that I've had professionally, and I have, um, and I have led, um, public campaigns on issues like marriage and gender. Um, yes, so I've had I've had all sorts of threats. I've had lots of like satanic hexes mailed to me. Um, in because a lot of the stuff it is just legitimately demonic when you get into the weeds of some of these issues and, and and we as believers understand that we're not wrestling against flesh and blood and these are real principalities and powers at war over truth and lies um so yeah uh if you do what i do professionally uh, you've got to have you know buy-in from your spouse right but uh and, and not everybody is called to this and not everybody needs to to operate in the culture in in precisely the same way that I do. But that being said, what everybody does need to come to terms with, uh, especially for those of us who are believers, is that when we became Christians, uh, whether we knew it or not, we took sides in a war. And that is a war between uh, good and evil, light and darkness. Um, and when we took sides in that war, we got real enemies. We also got the best friend that you can ever have, which guarantees our success, right? But we just need to understand that we live in a war zone. This planet is a war zone. And there is a, we have an adversary, the devil, who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may desire, devour. That is real. Trying to devour us and if not, all of our friends, right? And so any of us who try to get in between the devil and those he's trying to devour are going to face the consequences of that. Now, we see this in a, you know, oftentimes coming from other people. And those other people are not, in, in most cases, they are not consciously trying to devour people. They do not believe that they are acting on behalf of darkness to destroy other people's lives. They are captives of the enemy. They are not the enemy. And so we have to keep that in mind as well. But we as believers need to understand the reality of the landscape that we are operating in, which is we live in a war zone and we have real enemies because of our allegiance uh, to Jesus. And he promised us that people would hate us because of him. And again, if Jesus is our example, Jesus lived perfectly, he loved perfectly, and they murdered him for it, right? So we don't necessarily get to expect that our life of following Jesus is going to be run of one of purely peace, purely tranquility, dancing on 
rainbows with unicorns, right? That's not a realistic assessment. None of the first century Christian disciple apostles, that was not their experience. We have no reason to expect that for ourselves. So yes, um, you do have to have people around you who get that, who are going to support you, who aren't going to yell at you every time somebody um, doesn't appreciate what you say, uh, because they recognize that that this is a, a war, because there is a temptation to blame yourself if somebody's unhappy with you. And sometimes that's true. And we have to have the humility to uh, ask ourselves, did I do something wrong? Have I brought on this opposition because I've been operating in the flesh and because I've just been sinning? Or have I brought on this opposition because I live in a war and when you, when, and the truth has real opposition. So yeah, you, you've got to have people around you, um, but you just have to count the cost of discipleship and that's just part of it. Yeah, man. I really love the way you drew the distinction on all opposition doesn't necessarily mean that you're on the right track. And so we were like, oh, yeah, if I'm catching flack, that means I'm, you know, over the target. Well, it could mean that you're being rude and abrasive it, it, and you're saying you're a jerk. Of your jerk, that's right? exactly right. That's, so, yes. that's on the table. We have to consider that. And you need to have people in your life who will tell you, no, this is not like you being like a martyr. This is you being a jerk. Yes. And you need to knock it off. No, I got you. Well, that's a. Uh, that's really good. So um, I don't know if uh, that, that vulnerable question, uh, you know, especially for a guy, that's a, yeah. that's a little bit well, of a tough one. I don't know if you've got frame it again. That, How so. are you vulnerable? Yeah. Like in what area are you vulnerable? I I, I think maybe it's because it's connected to this idea yeah. that like you've had to create a circle of people around you. So if you consider yeah. where you're, maybe you're exposed or where maybe uh, you seem yeah. to be doing pretty good, but do you know where your risk are maybe? Is well, you know, I, and I'll say in leadership and, um, you know, I, I've worked, op I've operated mostly in the political space, but I'm a pastor's kid and I've spent my life in the church and I've been through a lot of church drama and chaos. And I will say, that when you are operating in an environment where criticism is normal, right? And that's true of people in the political environment, but it's also true of pastors and leaders of churches where they are used to hearing criticism because you just can't please everybody. And that's just the, the nature of life. One of the things that happens is you stop hearing any criticism. Is that You just learn to tune everything out, which puts you in a posture of I'm done learning because I don't listen to anybody who doesn't say anything other than encouraging things to me. And that is a dangerous place to be, I believe, is that when, when you have kind of tuned out all of your critics, because your critics might be your best friends in some cases, right? If, if they're coming to it from a heart of love, they, they are aware of things that you have, you have a blind spot to. So I would say a vulnerability of just kind of that environment that I have operated in is the, is the potential that I no longer listen to anybody because I'm so used to hearing criticism that I just block it all out. And therefore I, I'm done learning. Yeah. I could I could really connect with that. And we actually just did a video session about creating self-awareness. And part of that is the ability to be able to take feedback after you've uh, made a presentation or had an interaction. Uh, but it's it's hard because if you rely too much on that, all of a sudden you got a lot of hills and valleys and, you know, you go from being uh, insecure because you got some bad feedback at one thing to being arrogant because you got it at another, which yeah. is Obviously, those extremes are wrong. You're really aiming for confidence. You want yeah. to be right in the middle of like, yeah. I'm not arrogant, but I'm not insecure, but I'm yeah. confident because I'm getting the right feedback from the right people. Yeah. And uh, but that's good that you you've kind of recognized that and that you're, you know, you're you're being open to say, you know what, uh, this could be an area. So, well, as we get ready to kind of wrap up here, uh, one of the questions um that was asked, uh, I'm going to kind of tweak it a little bit. I'm going to give it to you the way Jesse asked me the other day. He said, okay. uh, 
He said, Eddie, if you were president, what would you change? <laughs> and so that's kind of a different a iteration question. of what Dustin asked uh, that he sent over. What What's your ideal uh, version? And I know that could be a really long question. We've got a minute oh, yeah. or two here, but yeah. what are some of the key things you'd go in day one and uh, change? About the world. Well, <laughs> I mean, sadly, the president has very limited authority. <laughs> Um, and into you're, you're not a dictator. So I like the question better. If you were world dictator for a day, what would you change? Because <laughs> then you can't be, uh, you know, stonewalled by Congress or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, when I when I survey the landscape of America and the culture, if if I could change one thing that I think would make the biggest difference is I would destroy the monopoly on government education. Um, we we talk about. The, you know, the culture wars talk about the, you know, all the pronoun stuff, the gender stuff, the marriage stuff, the sexuality stuff, the, the, the race stuff, all of those, the, the root of that to me is a system uh, that holds 90% or so of the public hostage because they don't have real options financially speaking. And, and they, uh, in, in the, those classrooms have been hijacked by people who have a very different worldview, who, again, in most cases are well-intentioned, but believe very dangerous things and are also very committed to evangelizing the dangerous things they believe and convincing four, five, six, 12-year-olds that those things are true. And it is deeply, deeply destructive. So if I could change one thing, I would... Uh, and and we're actually on the path to this right now where covid uh, has is totally upset the apple cart when it comes to education um but if i could change one thing uh, i would get rid of all teachers unions and i would make it so that parents and students are completely in control of their own education and the market would operate it would drive people and resources to schools that do well and serve families and students well and it would drive uh, resources and students away from those that do not and so if you want to send your kid to a kindergarten and be taught by a drag queen and learn that there's 900 different genders, more power to you. But for those parents who do not want that for their children, they should be not, they should not be forced by the law to send to their kids to that environment. I think you would see suddenly a lot of cultural peace because right now everybody's fighting over the same ball and there's no reason to do that. We have vastly different worldviews represented in America. There's no reason that we need to fight over the same classroom. Choice and freedom and the market should allow us to send our kids to environments that we're all happy with, right? And uh, you'll get a better educational product as well. And I think the, the the result will be that a lot a lot less minds will be destroyed. So um, that's what I would do. Yeah. Uh, some of it sounds good. I wonder if it would be the seeds of a civil war. <laughs> with Joy? No, I actually think it diffuses it. I think, yeah. I think the seeds of the civil war are right now because the, the law says uh, you student, even though your school has been failing for the last 20 years, the law requires you to go to that school because that's the zip code that you've been assigned to, yeah. even if it's dangerous, even if it doesn't educate anyone, even if 80% of the last two years graduating classes weren't even literate, you still have to go to that school because we say you have to go to that school. The injustice of, and now we haven't even got into the curriculum stuff, right? The injustice of that is so stark that we're losing the ability to defend it, yeah. which is a good thing. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's just so wrong <laughs> that you would do that to kids. Yeah, so yeah. And, and, and so you. once they have the choice, then there's, then, then we're not there's fighting over it anymore. Yeah. Yes. 
It's amazing how freedom and choice, yeah, how that changes everything. Well, man, there is tons of good stuff. I really wish you and I didn't have appointments to go to because I would love to continue this conversation and maybe we can at a later date. But man, thank you a ton for being on the podcast today. Uh, We really enjoyed having you. I want to just kind of say a message to our improvers that are listening out there or people who are potentially considering joining our network or are really identifying as an improver. Uh, We're not saying you have to believe everything exactly like we believe. We're not saying that you have to align politically the way we do or philosophically. Not exactly. Well, I mean, (laughs) Justin, be careful. That's that's not what we're saying, but we are saying there is a right and wrong in the world. And, you know, part of our mission is to make the world a better place. And a lot of what's going on right now is making the world worse. Uh, We think we're being progressive, but we're actually regressing in lots of ways. And the Improver Network actually exists to stand up against that and say, we want to make the world better. We want to take responsibility and see where we can improve or we can be better. We want to make sure our mind and our hearts are right, because that's really the way we're going to make the world better, is we're going to make sure that we're improving our, our minds, our spirits, and that we're putting tools in our hands to allow us to be productive for the greater good. And we're going to push push this all forward. So if you are interested in more of what we have to offer, then reach out to us. But otherwise, we will catch you on the next episode. Uh, Improvers, stay good. Keep getting better. Catch you later. Thank you for listening to this production of the Improver Network podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can catch future episodes. For more information about the Improver Network, visit us online at improver.network. That's www.improver.network. And connect with us on social. Until next time, keep getting better.